Welcome everyone to the review panel and the National Academy of Design. This is a collaborative effort. Funding for the review panel is provided by Edith and Herbert Lehman Foundation, the Daedalus Foundation, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, and the New York State Council on the Arts. I would also like to thank Christine Widmer, our Director of Education, and Graeme White, our sound engineer. Your moderator and also panelist tonight is David Cohen. David is art critic and contributing editor at New York Sun. He's also editor and publisher at artcritical.com and the gallery director at the New York Studio School. David will introduce the panelists and we'll begin. David. Thank you very much. And thank you, thank you to the audience for coming along. Thank you, let me, let me add my thanks to the Academy for the wonderful organization, including uh, swift hanging and rehanging of this, this room within the splendid show that, that Marshall has curated of abstract artists who are members of the Academy, do come back when the walls are no longer denuded and enjoy the uh, installation in its full splendor. Um, it's my uh, pleasure to introduce this evening's panel. My colleague at the New York Sun, chief art critic of the New York Sun, Lance Esplund, Lily Wei, who's a contributing editor at Art in America, and a, a renowned, legendary curator as well as critic. She curated, for instance, the um, first special exhibition within the Asian Art Fair, which we were able to see uh, on, the, on the piers last month, and Ben Davis, who in, uh, who in distinction to, uh, to Lance and Lily is a, is a fresh face on the review panel. We welcome him as uh, the first neophyte this evening. Ben is uh, associate editor at artnet.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your panel. Yes, go on, applaud. <laughs> And for, for Ben's benefit, I'll just remind us of what we do at the review panel. Uh, we, we've looked at five exhibitions. Um, uh, tell me if you've seen, put your hands up if you've seen two or more of the exhibitions we're looking at this evening. Very impressive, wonderful, excellent. Uh, we're looking at five, five shows. What we do is we'd have a little uh, PowerPoint presentation, um, a consideration among the panel of that show, and then another show in the same way. Um, and then we will take a little break, the panel, and give the audience a chance to let off steam and uh, share their verdicts or probe us with some questions or um, make some angry statements, if you like. Um, this is a democracy and a, a, a pluralistic forum. Then we'll go back and look at the remaining shows on the agenda. So with no further ado, let's have a look at our first show, if we can, which is uh, David Reed at the Max Protech Gallery. Lily, um, abstraction seems to be doing well, doesn't it? There's, uh, just last year we had Sean Scully at the Met, Bryce Martin at the Modern. Um, there's always a good flowering of abstract painting in, in the Chelsea galleries. Last month, uh, uh, Mary Heilman uh, scored the strange hat-trick of being on the covers of both Art Forum and Art in America in the same month. Um, David Reed offers a 
different kind of abstraction, doesn't he, from, well, I, I suppose in a way you could say that each, to be a successful abstract painter today, you have to be doing your thing. You have to be doing something quite distinct, um, both from colleagues and, and also from tradition. Um, do, do you feel that David Reed is really um, a, a pioneer within abstraction, or do you see him lodged within tradition? How, how do you relate to him on those terms? Um, I think what David does is what he has done is show people how you can continue to make an abstract painting. Um, he, I think at one point you might have said that he was a, a syntactical abstractionist or at what he was putting uh, the, um, the, methods, the methods of painting into quotation marks and then, um, and then from there forging it you know, on, onto a, a, a viable painting because how can you continue to keep painting the same painting? And, and he did, I think, break ground in that way. And he also made film, um, film, excuse me, painting resemble film in some ways. He made the paint kind of a, a, a filmic surface and that in some ways um, was a, um, made a more contemporary image too. Mm. And, and, and as you know, David also curated, I mean, this is the other part of um, David Cohen's question, which was that uh, David also, was instrumental in the show that was here, the, the High Times, Hard Times show. So this answers the question about whether or not painting is coming up, uh, is, is strong um, in presence right now, and I think it is, and I also think that 70s paintings happen to be, you know, getting um, renewed attention. So um, so I think, you know, David Reed's painting was, is, is important in that way. As for the show, he seems to be doing what he always has done, and he does it very well. I mean, they're, they're, they're very beautiful paintings. So. Mm. Um, Lance, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Lily referenced the, the, the photographic quality of his paintings. So there's, there's often a feeling, isn't there, of, that it's almost painted in some kind of uh, emulsion, that it, it has a kind of technical feel to it, and that gives it a great slickness. Does the, is, does, is the slickness something that's a, a positive charge within the paintings, or does it detract from the experience for you? I think they're a little too slick for me. Um, they, have, they come across for me as kind of that cocked hip, uh, you know, I'm kind of engaging with abstraction, I'm kind of not, I'm kind of, you know, working with a squeegee, I'm kind of not working with a squeegee, um, I'm working with a brush, but not really, um, I'm making an abstraction, but not really am I making an abstraction. I think, for me, they, they have a kind of decorative slickness. Um, I always imagine that you know my eyes kind of skid across them as if I'm stepping into something I spilled on the floor, and especially on the um, whatever the surface is he uses, it's a um, very slick, almost like polished. Um, it's plastic, isn't it? Um, I don't know. For me, they're a little too easy. Um, there, there's a there's an insouciance about them that suggests. Um, Kind of like to me, it's, it's as if he kind of doesn't really care, and he and he wants that element to come through. Um, that mm. he's keeping it at a distance, in a sense. You know, making a kind of decorative, uh, you know, something that would look good in a corporate space, basically, as you know, to break up the tans. Uh. Is that a fair verdict, Ben? Do you feel that they have a sort of slickness and nonchalance about them, or were you able to uh, engage with them at a, at a at a more satisfying level? Well, uh, it's interesting. I, I think it's interesting that you you phrase it in terms of the the you know that there's a boom on for abstraction right now because 
my impression is sort of similar to Lance's that when I walk in, there's like a boom for design right now. There's a big boom for, for contemporary design uh, in Chelsea, in the galleries right now. And, and that's, I feel like it fits really well into that. It, has, it does have a kind of slickness. Um, I think there, I do think though that there's, there's something kind of, I, I think there's something kind of kinky about the paintings. There's something kind of sexy about them. Uh, it's something about kind of the way it's uh, about uh, making you think about touching that you can't really, t- something that you can't really touch. You know, there are these weird folds and loops that aren't really there. It's kind of like a makeup-y, uh, makeup-y falseness about them. And I, I, so I guess I'd say, yeah, I, I don't know that, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I can't say that I really strongly connect with the show, but I also don't think that's really what he's trying to do. Mm. Yeah, that's the feeling I have, that they're not, um, they don't come out of a kind of, they're not, uh, they're not um, primarily concerned with authenticity. They are um, a, a very cerebral, uh, witty, uh, high style kind of um, spin on abstraction. Um, I mean, if, if um, he's, he's like a, a singer sergeant of abstract painting. <laughs> Which isn't a bad thing to be, by any means. Well, they're elegant. Uh, right? Into the mic, yeah. Yes. I think they're, they're elegant. And, and what Lance said, I, I think it's not um, well observed. It's just that if you wanted to reverse that and think all the things he mentioned could also be positive. I mean, they are, they are hybrids. They, they do show a whole vocabulary of ways of making a painting. And I think that's a, as I, that was important at one point, especially during the um, the seventies, out of which David comes when painting was considered dead. So you know, and he carries his forward. So I think that that it is cerebral, um, and it doesn't have to be. You know, it's not a visceral painting, but he's not attempting that. I mean, I think in terms of how it engages with abstract expressionism, I mean, I mean, he's a one-trick pony. Uh, it seems to me, it's a pretty good trick. The pony fools me. Every time, but uh, I'm not fooled. But <laughs> but you know I, I'm thinking that, and then I, I I go back on myself, and I'm like, well, that's the same as like Rothko is also a one-trick pony, and I do think that it's engaging the whole abstract expressionist thing was people to produce like a signature of themselves, and then there that ended up sort of in a dead end, and he sort of comes out of that dead end, and, and I don't I think uh-huh. he's aware of that, and he's playing around with it. Um, so you do think that Rothko is a one-trick pony? I mean, I, I think that he, I think in a very similar way to David Reed, he, he has a central motif that he varies and plays around with. I think so that that's, a lot of artists, but, but Rothko has a motif, whereas Reed has a strategy. So well, can, I think that one of the problems is the idea of having a strategy. Um, I think making art has nothing to do with strategy. Um, and I think it has nothing to do with a style. Um, I think it's something where you, you know, if at its best, and, and Rothko isn't my favorite painter, but he's somebody who is clearly engaged with what he does. And he has, um, when he's great, um, you know, when there are moments in Rothko, there's, there's, there's spectacular tension between uh, an orange and a red, um, a vibration. It's like, you know, something out of a Bonard. It's like a moment out of a Bonard made mural scale. And, and I think he really is able to do that I don't think that um, Reed um, knows the first thing about tension and color, about one color vibrating against another, about, and I think that part of the problem with the Abex school is that 
the gesture or the mark became such a, um, you know, like you've got to have a style and the personal style and what you do and your mark and your authenticity comes out of that mark. And I think he's kind of taken the thin veil of authenticity, like this is my mark, the squeegee mark, and sometimes I do it this way or this way, and made a whole career out of it. But um, I don't think there's much that's authentic um, compared to Rothko, um, even though they're both kind of doing, yes, one, anyway. Mm. That's, that's I, I, would, I would come to the defense of Rothko first and, and say, look, um, Shakespeare wrote a heck of a lot of sonnets. They're all 14 lines long. They all have the same rhyme scheme, but you wouldn't say that was his strategy or that was his one-trick pony. I, I mean, with, with Rothko, that the, we think of it as a Rothko. You can say a Rothko and you can Im imagine in your mind's eye those uh, lozenges stacked having a certain chromatic effect. But that doesn't mean to say that one Rothko is another Rothko. They, they engender quite specific emotions. Now, Reed uh, is, a, is an artist of a very different order, to my mind, than Rothko, um, partly because, uh, you know, within, within the sphere of abstraction, Rothko was closer to being a pioneer and therefore had a you know, more open field, as it were. But um, partly also because Rothko belonged to a generation that, that had this sense of um, the, the, the worth of, um, of finding your authentic ex existential place within, the, within, within, your, within your way of making art. Whereas Reed, I think, grasps and acknowledges that that's no longer really quite possible. And uh, not, leaving aside Lance's uh, suggestion that he, he isn't getting or isn't capable of um, uh, pleasing color, contrast, tensions, or harmonies, um, I think just, just understanding his language, it's fair to say that he just knows his place in history, that um, pure, authentic, gestural uh, abstraction he knows not to be possible, and that therefore a more linguistic game has to be played. And he's also more eccentric, and he also, I think, is a much more mannered painter, and the people he likes are mannered, mannered painters, uh, like um, Pontormo and Brandino, and and the um, the odd, you know, the, uh, the not mainstream uh, Italian artists. I mean, these are the kinds of spaces that he examines. I mean, they're eccentric and they're, they verge a little on the grotesque. You know. They're knowingly sick, right? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I think that's what he wants. Well, that's a little strong, but um, they're, they're, um, but they're not slick. I mean, that's not at all. I, I think he is very genuine in terms of what he's trying to, um, you know, to show us. I, and I which is it, what? It is how, how can you continue to make a painting? Ah. Yeah, but why are you making paintings about the idea of how can you continue to make a painting? That's my, I guess I'm a little, um, I'm kind of not interested in that, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, it's fair if you're not interested in, but in that. But I, I mean, think, because there are real paintings being made, and so I'm kind of interested in sure, that sure, tradition. Sure, but, but when yeah. you said earlier, real mm -hmm. art isn't about a strategy, I mean, there are many kinds of art that can be pursued. You may dislike one and dislike the other. I, I don't think you can, can, can dismiss it that easily. I think mm. what he, he's very self-aware of what he's doing. I, look, it's not my favorite kind of thing in the world, what he's doing, but I do think that even in the sort of signature style of painting, even for the abstract expressionist, was kind of a dead end. I think Rothko felt that it was a dead end, and he just picks up on that and, and plays, and David Reed, that is, picks up on that, plays around with it, it's kind of like, you know, painting with, painting with uh, sunglasses on mm -hmm. is what it seems like to me. It's kind of this very cool 
slick, removed kind of thing. But but that's and colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I he has made more colorful paintings in his time. For some reason, he's gone rather um, turgidly monochrome on us in this in this particular show, really pushing that um, celluloid kind of quality, which is uh, funny because I mean. Photography is no longer black and white anyway, no longer need be black and white. So, um, but um, I think there's an interesting tension on the panel now is between this idea that, that, that Lance has that, that, um, that you know, uh, art is not about strategy or it doesn't need to be about strategy. And a sort of a recognition, I think, from, from Ben and myself and Lily maybe that. Um, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be, but it can be, and that's that's something that does happen. I mean, if you think in terms of literature, um, you don't. It would be it'd be dull if you said that the novel has to be about uh, whether or not you can write a novel. But if 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 it couldn't be about that, we wouldn't have Proust and Joyce, so we'd be the poorer. So um, is is it is it not just valid? Is it does it Lance? Is it for you sort of some kind of uh, moral fault that, that uh, artists should be overly concerned or concerned at all with uh, structural questions of their own um, medium? Well, I think he has a... I mean, you're talking about painting is a language as far as I'm concerned, and um, you either speak it well or you don't. And to me, um, David falls into... David Reed falls into a category of painter um, who works with paint but doesn't speak the language at all. He, in fact, turns his back to the language. And um, Lily brought up uh, the point of, um, you know, that he's almost kind of acknowledging this, tr this, this decision among I don't know whom. Uh, who, I don't know who decided this or where it was officially set in stone, you know, the whole idea of painting being dead. And, um, you know, I just, don't, I just don't buy that. I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of great painting being done and that it's a very, very... Uh, viable language. Mm. And I think people are doing real things with it, continuing the tradition, furthering the tradition. Um, I was just reading the uh, Freud catalog from uh, the Lucian Freud show. And, the, and Glenn Lowry says in it, in the foreword, basically he puts, he puts it in, I don't remember the exact words, but he puts in quotation marks, you know, kind of like painting is an, we all know that painting is an antiquated or dead medium or old-fashioned medium. And, and I would just say that, you know, that's I think that's a limitation that is being set um, on painting. It's, it's almost as, it's a posturing that has nothing to do with, with great painting that's being made. And so for me, I, I mean, look, artists can do whatever the hell they want, you know? Mm -hmm. I, and, and I, but I do think art is a moral stance. I do think it's, if you're an artist, you are taking a moral stance. And I also, I mean, you can be genuine, you can be sincere, you can be crappy. Um, but I think that it is a position that you take, you say, and I do think that artists can fall on one side of the fence or the other. Uh, I think they can sell their soul to the devil and be like David Reed, okay? Um, Jeff Koons, uh, um, John Curran, um, uh, you know, no matter how confused they are, no matter what they were told in art school or that, you know, that, but, but I think it's a oh. fucked position. And I think that then there's, there are artists who are genuinely concerned with the language. They're genuinely trying to add to culture. They're genuinely trying to do something and not to take a position and a kind of stance and paint with their sunglasses on. I mean, you know, that's, anyway. Well, that's a, certainly a strong moral position. Uh, it is. I, I, would, I would suggest that Karen and um, Kuhn's got a better price. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, which I, I say in jest, but also to say that really, um, 
it's it's a point of view, but I I feel that he's he's pursuing what he does with as with as much uh, authenticity in quotes as as anyone else. Although he, his his philosophical view is that um, gesture can't in and, in and of itself be um, an authentic thing, and, and it has to be understood as a as a as a signified thing, which, as you say, art is a language. But he's not saying it's inauthentic. And, and actually, Lance, how do you how do you convey authenticity if you don't use strategy or style? I mean, well, how is it I, don't, I mean, you know, artists—they go into the studio. They. It sounds like perhaps you have a slightly romantic notion. No, of I don't the, have the a romantic dumb. notion about it. But you know, I've painted, and yes. I know how fucking hard it is. And um, I know that if you're not sincere about it um, mm. to yourself, if you're not, and if you don't really, I mean, I don't think David Reed is going and looking at Titian to think about his color. It's funny because he sent me an email from Vienna and he just told me he he'd just seen the late Titian. Well, he's missing something. He's uh-huh. looking at Titian with his sunglasses, sunglasses. on. Okay. Um, but, but it doesn't mean that he even has to bring, you know, Titian doesn't, I'm just saying that there's Titian, yes. you know. And then there's Titian, and then there's Tiziano. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yes. Um, but you know, I think Ben, do you just to wrap up on this discussion? Do, do you think that it's possible to be um, authentic uh, in in one in one's gestures and at the same time acknowledge uh, that that art is a language and a style and a strategy? Do you see them as a dichotomy, or do you see that, that that's no longer to be seen as a dichotomy? Uh, but I, yeah, people can be authentic. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a myth that there's one thing called painting. You know, there's. There's lots of different ways to be authentic with painting, not, not just one. Now, I don't know. I, I guess I, I do kind of think that what David Reed does is kind of like a minor, mm-hmm. minor thing. You know, like yeah. I said at the beginning, I think it's like mm. he, it's explicitly like he wants to make paintings to put on bedroom walls, and, and, and that's, that's what he wants to do. Uh, but I, 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 it's hard to con- carry on the conversation yes. that much further without fleshing out what Lance means by yes. the moral strength of authenticity of painting. We'll reconvene to, to, to discuss the, the metaphysics, but tonight we'll concentrate on specific shows. When we come a little later to look at Anne Harris, I think we'll pick up on some of the themes of uh, expressionism and authenticity and, and, and mannerism and language. But we're going to take a little break from uh, uh, painting to look at uh, the work of Zhang Huan. So let's... Uh, well, just to say, I don't think the painting is something that we have to uh, worry about at the moment either, so we don't have to defend painting. I, I hope this isn't what, you know, nope. this sounds like we're doing. I hope not. So. No. I'm just saying we, we will be discussing authenticity in painting a little later when we look at Anne Harris. Anyway, so um, we've been to the Asia Society, and um, to those of you on the bread line, I apologize for having sent you um, to two exhibitions this, this, uh, this, this session in which you might have had to pay to gain admission to a museum. So Ben, um, art and language, there's certainly no, no ambiguity about the fact that there's some language there. Um, a diverse number of languages, though, that uh, uh, Zhang uh, operates within uh, a performance artist, uh, but what we have here is um, some remnants of performance. We have uh, photography, sculpture, works in other mediums as well. Uh, do you get a sense of a unified package or a, a, a jack of many trades? Well, sort of, I think, there's a, I think there's a concern that underlies the whole thing. I think there are more or less three phases represented in the Asia Society show where you start out with um, 
early, just like very spare performance works, uh, and then you move where 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 I I think that there's like a lack, sort of uh, because of the nature of society and what's going on in China, uh, the situation he was dealing with. There's sort of a lack of sort of spiritual meaning. This quest for sort of like a real authentic experience, um, and combined with just a total lack of institutional support for art. So you have the early pieces where it's like he's sitting in a shack and covered in honey and letting flies land on him. And then you have the American, where he moves to America, the American phase, where you still, I think you still have him sort of look, just sort of latching on to symbols, of trying, looking for some kind of meaningful symbols, um, but with much more institutional support. So you get, uh, you get sort of these carnivalesque kind of things, and then you have the third phase where he moves back to China, and he's now still, you know, he's making objects now. He clearly has some kind of need to latch on to um, materials that signify some kind of spirituality, like ad, like like incense ash, um, his, his kind of historical photos and panels. But now he's sort of gone to this factory-style thing. But I think the thread that runs through it, just to wrap up, is... I do think that there's a kind of uh, a spiritual emptiness and this kind of reaching out towards things. And, and I think in some cases he's really good at making an image or a picture, but I, overall I do feel like there's a kind of arbitrary to it, mm-hmm. arbitrariness to it. And there's one piece in particular uh, at the Seattle Art Museum that's, they have a film of it there called My America, where I just sat there and I like laughed out loud and laughed and laughed and laughed because it's just so goofy. It's people walking in circles making an animal noise and then he sits down with a very serious look on his face and they pelt him with bread and it just seems, it's just like this kind of acting out of kind of some kind of ceremony that doesn't quite Mm -hmm. connect. An invented ceremony. An invented ceremony. Lily, I I thought of him in a way as a sort of um, Buddhist Marina Abramovich. Um, how did you uh, did you feel that the um, tell me what you thought of the show and of, of this artist I think the characteristic that runs through Jiang Huang's work is I think there's a really fierce will if you talk about there is a kind another kind of authenticity mm. here mm. and um, when, when he started doing the, those performances um, in the East Village the, the so called East Village of in China, um, outside of Beijing, I mean, they had very, they had very little resources. But it was um, a collaborative effort, and um, as some of you may know, there's also there's been a great dispute as to who actually owns those works. And um, the one in the latrine, of course, was famous, and you know, and that, that was a, that phase of of, of a kind of um, intense. Um, some have called it masochism, but I think of it more as just you know determination and, and, and will. Um, I'm not sure what I make of, of, the, of, his, of his projects. Um, I, I thought, because at Asia Society, they, they did the films first, um, but they were in small format. And um, I mean, I don't know if that you know, should have factored in or not. I mean, I don't know what kind of presentation would have been optimal for this. I'm not, I'm not sure how they would have been shown originally, or does, you know, if it mattered at all. But I, I think it would have been better had they not been just segued into each other and maybe given separate screens because they didn't seem to have, um, they seemed to be like a kind of a preamble to the whole show. And then 
His objects have always been um, been striking too, but they're they're sort of they're all they're really kind of all all over the place. So I'm 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 really not sure. Um, he. Um, no, I think he's complicated, and and, um, and and certainly he was one of the people who put contemporary Chinese art um, onto the radar here in when he first showed here in um, in 1990 when they had the Inside Out show with that image, the first image that was here to raise the, the level to raise the level of the, the ponds pond by, by a, a meter. So you know these they seemed all very. Um, very fresh and interesting. So um, I, I think he's, you know, I, I, I think he's, I think he's good, but I, I'm not sure where, what, you know, what to make of him. He seems yes. to be like a lot of contemporary artists, Chinese artists. He seems to be like around um, uh, doing a lot of things, and, and so I think we can just yeah. wait and see. A, a, a good thing hedging his bets seems to be the consensus so far. Uh, Lance, uh, would you would you uh, buck the trend or go with that? Um, well, I reviewed that show uh, back when, before, just before it opened. So if, you're, if you really want more on what I think of that show, you can read it um, in the Sun archives. But my feeling about him is that he's extremely naive, extremely young. Um, there's a freshness about him, and also a, he's very savvy. I mean, he's, he's set up this Warholian kind of factory um, in Shanghai, and He's bringing in artisans from the provinces who are very skilled. He doesn't make any of the stuff in his show. And, um, I mean, yes, he's in the performances. But I think of him as an idea man. I don't think his ideas are that interesting, but I think when he brings the right people together, there are certain things that happen in the show. And, and my feeling when I walked through the show was that, um, oh, this wasn't very interesting. I saw the performances. I'd seen a couple of them before. I'd seen a lot of stills from them. Um, they seem very childish to me in many ways. Um, but there was some kind of, you know, he believed in them. They feel like psychological exorcisms or something. Like, he, like he's doing something for himself. I don't know if he's connecting with other people. And the nudity and the kind of silliness sometimes makes them, I think, them, you know, interesting to a point. But when you, when you get to the, the documentary about his process and you see him walking through the, his, his huge factory and he's got this great suit on, and he's got a cigarette, and he's, you know, he's a very attractive man, and he's got his dark glasses on, and the Chinese David Reed, in a sense, right? No, but um, no, but he's, no, no. But he's, but he's in this space, and somebody says to him, um, you know, do you want more space in this? How do you want the space in this thing that they're that he's painting? And he's, he's like, I don't know, just more birds, you know, more, just keep putting more birds in. And there, you know, there, he takes those photographs and puts them, puts them on doors, on old Chinese doors. And then he has really wonderful, uh, skilled wood carvers come in and carve out parts of the photo. And he just says, keep carving. And they say, oh, take that out. Don't. So he's kind of not even in control of these things. But surprisingly, there was one piece in that show that I thought, as I walked through it, this guy's really a, a skilled wood carver until I kind of figured it all out. Um, but... You know, because there are some wonderful things happening. I mean, he's employing people who actually do uh, have skills. But I don't know where it's all, how it all adds up, though. Isn't it know? a skill, though, that if you employ people who have skills to well, trust to their intuition yeah. rather than be overly controlling about I, what you think you want? I mean, I guess. Uh, you, um, I mean, look, there's, it's, there's a certain 
successfulness to it in, to a degree? Does it matter if Warhol pissed on the, um, you know, on the copper or somebody else did, you know, in the end? I don't know. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's enough substance, mm. even when there are some spatially interesting things oh. happening, for instance, in a table in a boardroom. Um, yes. I think the ideas are very child, childish. Um, even if sometimes they're pulled off in these ways that are somewhat monumental, mm. and I mean that in, in large scale, like the ash head that's 12 mm. feet high and looks like a sphinx, mm. and, and you know, it's, it's, uh, mm. it's bizarre to come to that. Um, to me, I think the, the memorable images are, are the photographs which document events which are, have a kind of low-level conceptual interest but generate a, a useful image. I mean, the, the, the men and women standing at different spots within that pond, okay, they, it's a very kind of 70s process thing to say they're raising the water level by one meter. There's a kind of almost sort of Peter Greenaway sort of so what factor. But at the same time, um, it, it has produced a, a memorable an iconic, almost, image. But it's like a communal effort, I mean, and, and that's, I think, part of the context of it. He, he's, he's, he's aware of, isn't he, the, the system that he's come out of, and he, he wants the world to see the... Um, perhaps he wants the world to experience both the stifling limitations and the potentials of a communal rather than an individualistic uh, society. Is that fair? I, well, he's always sort of worked in collaboration, and I think that might just be the heritage of growing up in, you know, in a... In a communal society. Um, of being an entrepreneur in the new yeah, China, well, this but is nonetheless... Like, well, he's also, yeah, he's very part of not only the new China, but of, of the way artists make art right now. I mean, some of them, there's no uniform way that any artist make, makes art, but if we say that, you know, people are doing production, I mean, they are, you know, you, to fill Gagosian, you need a full-time 200-person oh, <laughs> workshop, right, if you are going to do that, so... <laughs> Good. Let's look at our third show then of the evening before we take a, uh, bring in the audience. And this is uh, another painting show. It's Anne Harris at... Uh, uh, are we still in focus? Yes. Uh, we know we're uh, Anne Harris at the Alexandra Gallery. And there we are, walking through the doors. And, and thank you to Gabby Grodin for doing a wonderful job and putting together this evening's PowerPoint presentation. Um, Lance, you were complaining when we were discussing David Reed uh, that uh, we, we don't need uh, somebody questioning the possibility of painting. There are people who are really painting today who understand the language and within that language are able to achieve things, the authentic things, personal expression. Uh, would Anne Harris qualify on those, uh, as one of those people? No, not really. Um, but there's, I think her work is a little more compelling to me than... Um, than David's work is, uh, I, and that's not because I think it's um, better. Um, I mean, it's a personal, I guess, take on it. I think that she's um, she's mining a kind of weirdness that um, that that is, even though she can't really create form, you know, her her flesh doesn't really have any weight to it, any volume. Um, but she's doing a kind, I mean, you know, there's one of the paintings um, in which the, the finger on the, the leg, she's like scratching her pubic hair or something, and, one, and the little finger is disjointed and broken and kind of pulled over and it's kind of vibrating. And I think that there are moments like that in her work, the, the sense of the, the apparition versus the body, the thing kind of fading away, coming forward, the, the, 
there's there's something to that that I think is um, metaphorically interesting. Even if she can't quite pull it off, even if she can't really convince me of it, I'm interested in the um, in her engagement with a with a, a way to rethink um, the figure, to rethink what it is to be a human being. To kind of, I mean, I really I think that she's trying to do some things um, that that I support, and in, in you know. In terms of you know, there there is a compelling aspect to that. I think. Hmm. Um, well, Ben, that's 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 an oddly moral statement. She's doing things I support. Would you? Uh, uh, can you can you guess what those things are, or do you feel is she doing things you support, or? Oh, she's doing things I support too. Yes. I mean, but but the 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 um, but her paintings do sort of, for me, they do uh, sort of show kind of the, what I think is the paradox of the kind of like heroic, let's just paint kind of, th kind of thing that, mm. that, I, that I hear from Lance. In that, I mean, I think that, that there's some good painterly stuff going on there. I think she's a good painter and, and there's some interesting imagery. But there's this kind of, yeah, there's this need to be kind of weird, uh, which I think comes from, I don't know, kind of like maybe even being embarrassed of just being a painter or something. Where like the hands, if you look at the if you look at the um, the hands and the thing, they're they're all locked in this kind of uh, I don't know like stigmata kind of pose where there's this like regular kind of contortion that is shared by the different figures that is just sort of a non sequitur to me. Like why how that fits into the whole idea and then the, the fading in and out of the canvas, yeah, seems to me just I mean to me what it represents is a kind of you know, uh, un lack of certainty about just painting a solid thing because that might be corny or something. Yes, this, it, it's, a, it's just a strange effect, isn't it, Lily? It's almost as if uh, the artist, there's a screen between us and the artist. Her face is pushed right into the polystyrene and we see it in some clarity and then other body parts are in a kind of uh, fuse, uh, sort of uh, uh, a sort of strange, ambiguous space. Uh, what, what did you make of that in and out of in, in, in Harris? Did it, did it have value and meaning to you? Well, it's, it's sort of like David Reed. I mean, she has tricks too. I mean, stylistic tricks. And, um, and I, think, I think she's actually closely related to him in some ways. I mean, just in terms of how she approaches it. Um, mm -hmm. But I support her. Uh, but mm -hmm. I support her image. I mean, I support uh, her way of trying to present women, not human beings, but women. In a, in a less than, shall we say, you know, uh, less than glamorous. Even, even though her paint is, is glamorous. I mean, you know, this it's very silky and mm -hmm. um, uh, and the colors are you know translucent, mm -hmm. like like chiffon. I mean, I don't know. There's something there's something about that that kind of mitigates the um, the the um, the grotesqueness mm -hmm. yes. of, of some of the of the of the figure. So you kind of like it. You think it's you think it's beautiful in some ways and you think it's not and then sometimes you think it's a little the it's just an effect and you know it's not mm. really um mm. so completely um thought out I yeah know. yeah so. i i find myself um sort of drawing a line in within her enterprise and seeing two halves to it one i find admirable and the other i find unsatisfying the the admirable side is as you say this sense of the the self-portrait by a woman, and uh, uh, I relate her to artists as diverse as uh, Cindy Sherman, uh, Susanna Coffey, um, and, and 
others who could come to mind as, as exploring ways to uh, use the self as a subject without them being self-portraits. And, and they are, to that extent, potentially interesting images. But um, it's interesting that um, uh, one of her museum catalogs, she had a show at Bowdoin College in Maine, and the curator there related her enterprise to her uh, co-evils, um, uh, Lisa Yuskavich, John Curran, Julie Heffernan. And it seems to me that those other artists have something that David Reed also has that she doesn't have, which is a full understanding of the implications of her own slickness. I, I don't get the sense that she... I mean, I'm sure she understands mannerism. She's definitely looked at a lot of mannerism, and she's developed knowingly certain manners. But I, what I don't get is a charge, an energy in the paintings that makes me think that um, these are... Um, really aware of the implications of their own mannerism and that they've folded those implications into the value of the work. It just seems to me that they're, they're mannerist almost by mistake, uh, whereas someone like Heffernan or, or, or Reed are, are, are knowing mannerists. I guess that's kind of... I feel like that's sort of what I was kind of trying to say, is that it does seem like the weirdness and the manneristic kind of effects seem like a... A kind of a reaction to something, and, and I, I mean, I, I think it's. I think I agree with with Lily. I mean, there, it's cool to see um, image of this of of this not sort of mm. a, a portrait of a of a woman that's not classically beautiful. Is kind of something you don't see every day. But that's. I think the thing is, is that you know that's not you know that's something that's been done before by like Lucian Freud and so on. And so it doesn't end up being the signature that mm. you kind of need to be defined as an artist today. And, and so you get these kind of like effects that seem to me like groping around for a way to, to do something that, to, to do what she wants to do, which is this kind mm -hmm. of self-portraiture and still mm. be taken seriously or something like that. Yeah, there's a very honest acknowledgement of the mortal coil, isn't there, Lance? Uh, how, how did you respond to them as images, quite apart from your feelings about them as paintings? I, I don't know if I can... Can answer that question. I don't understand it. Um, the difference. How did I respond to them as images uh, as, as, as representations or? of of women? Did they have some uh, sort of meaning or value in their subject matter? Yeah, I don't. Um, I'm very much with like Meyer Shapiro on that idea that you know you can't separate uh, the form or the meaning or the you know it's all it's all there. It's it's mm -hmm. um, the. I'm kind of not interested in, um, I'm not really interested in her idea about what mm -hmm. she's doing. I, like I said, I don't really think she convinces me. Um, I think that uh, what you were saying about the, uh, the trick, the, 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 something about the tricks about them or the, like, and I think that your, your uh, statement that she seems really not to know where she is in relationship to her work, I think is very astute. Um, and maybe it's that kind of, Naivete, or that—that that there's a maybe there's an element of freshness that that is mm. that is um, even if it's not successful, there's something um, mm. that I, I think that's one of the elements that I, I I really I think she is doing a lot of BS in a way, but I think that and I do think she has a lot of tricks up her sleeve. You know, she's doing a, a a shtick, but I also think that there's something about her engagement with it that is uh, is somewhat genuine. Um, I don't think she's as distant from her work as, um, as say, uh, 
uh, David Reed is, and I do think that there are some similarities there in terms of what they don't know about how to paint, but there's something about what they, what she mm -hmm. does that's, I think, uh, um, I mean, to, to, to go back to this comparison with, say, John Curran or, or Julie Heffernan, um, they, those artists are much more, um, a, a very, um, they, they've, they've tapped into uh, an old master look, but in a way which is, uh, love it or hate it, definitely of our time. It seems to me that Anne Harris is somewhat anachronistic painter. She could, those images, those paintings could have been made any time in the last 25, 30, 40 years almost. Um, they, 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 they have a slightly marginal quality, but that in itself may not be a bad thing if we don't like the slickness and strategy of those who succeed in being and defining their time, being in and defining their time. Um, I think it's a good moment, perhaps, if the panel has agreed, uh, that we uh, hear from the audience um, on all three shows that we've um, been talking about. Sorry? So we're, we're going to come back to the other... Other two shows, okay. yes. Right. We take a break now from our discussion to allow the audience to let off a little steam. If you'd be kind enough to wait for the young lady to bring you the mic, that'd be great. And it was startling for me because when you saw the work years ago, when I first started Virginia Nielsen in Boston, I was struck by the beauty of the line. She could really draw. And I'm not interested in image-based work particularly, but her work really grabbed me. The drawings were exquisite. Always of herself. She's a very quiet, unassuming, seeming person. I don't know her. I saw her in an opening. But she then did a series of works on her child. Yes, you know, Max. Which yes. we're startling too, because you just don't see children done in something that's not um, beautified or something else. This show is strange. It's weird. It's surreal almost. And I, I was surprised by it mm -hmm. in general about this transformation. The work is also bigger. She started at a much more modest scale. So I. And do you think perhaps the bigness and the weirdness has to do with coming to the big bad city? I really don't know. I would love to ask her this, uh -huh. you know, to know more about the sources of what's evolving. I wondered, and it, this is really um, a subjective opinion, but yeah. maybe being a mother and trying to be an artist and trying to be a lot of things has freaked her out. Mm. And that's what she's expressing here, a kind of overwhelmingness mm. about her own life or about the lives of women. I haven't a clue. I mean, but I was struck by that. You know, in, in doing this. Do you know if she's shown before in New York, or is this her first show here? Um, the man who can answer the question is a few rows behind us, um, her agent. Uh, she had a show uh, two or three years ago at DC. You know, I didn't happen to see that, so okay. I, that's why I wasn't sure. But, I mean, I think she's a very serious artist. I mean, unlike oh, yes. those portrait artists who you're comparing to her current and all these people who are, mm. I find really uninteresting, this okay. is a serious person attempting something Great. That's not in the mainstream. Good, thank you. Um, we're, we're talking also about David Reed, if, if people have comments on that show, and, and, um, and also Zhong Wan. Um, uh, but where else do I see a hand? Don't be shy. Yes, lady towards the front. Uh, Uh, 
Mr. Esplanade, I love your columns, and I always agree with you. But, however, tonight, Enough said. Next question. Don't continue, right? However, tonight, I think, I think you gave uh, Zhang Wan a little short shrift, um, saying that he was, you know, young and naive, and uh, the uh, video that they showed of him with his, his workers in his studio. I mean, plenty of artists do that, but he has the grand vision. Um, and I also think that a lot of his performance pieces are much more complex than what seemingly appears as they evolve. I think they get a little more serious. Uh, My America, um, I've seen that twice. And Is that the one with the Whitney? PS1, I think. Uh, PS1 yeah. with the bed of ice, right? No, the, no. No, the, the one with the, the doves. The, the, the naked people running oh, around. Oh, the one he did at Seattle. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, uh, I mean, that gets very scary as it evolves. And you get um, different visions, different, different feelings about what's really happening there. You know, it, seems, it starts out seemingly this very spiritual thing that they're all doing. And then at the end, they're, they're, they look like they're imprisoned, they're following, and they're running around, and, and it's, it's frightening how they're, they're um, being manipulated, you know. So I think he's a little more complex than, mm. than you gave him credit for, and I think his, his performance pieces are very, very interesting. Great. Thank you. Marvelous. Um, yes, behind you. I, I just wanted to put a parallel. I, I think, David, you had said something about um, Juan Juan's um, uh, performances being like psychological exorcisms. Uh, or you said that. Okay, sorry. sorry. But I just, you know, in seeing someone else, you know, Anne Harris's work, you know, with her arms and, you know, looks like stigmata or something, that she also looks like an artist who is throwing herself into a kind of psychological, psychological exorcism. And um, as opposed to David Reed, who's like coolly hidden. So that's all. Yeah. Uh, some, anybody else like to share some views? Yes, uh, Drew. Uh, um, just a note about David Reed being coolly hidden. Um, I, I think that sometimes is surface and material can sometimes be off-putting and in a sense disguise how sort of passionate the movement and the light that um, he manages to create in this very masterful way. And in that sense, I think he is a, a person who has a lot of genuine kind of um, faith in the traditions of painting. And um, it's, it's quite an interesting sort of contrast that he's able to sort of set up and throw out um, all at once. Great. Any other um, defenses or reposts of the three artists we've uh, looked at? It'd be great to... Yes, just behind you. I have to concur. I've always responded to David Reed's way uh, work in, in much the same fashion, actually. Great. Okay. Uh, comments? Casting votes? Whatever. Anyone else? It would be lovely to hear from you. Yeah, okay, you trust your panel, that's what we like, good. Uh, <laughs> or they good. don't even want to debate it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, uh, Gabby, let's have a look at our next shows. Um, we're just going to um, 
actually look at both shows together. Um, uh, Barty Kerr having her first New York exhibition. Delhi-based, a little slower with her, the Delhi-based um, British-born artist. This is at Jack Shaneman Gallery. And the last show that we're discussing is the Tara Donovan's installation um, at the Metropolitan Museum, just around the corner from here. Thank you. Well, it's funny, actually, we were talking both in relation to Zhong Wan and, and in fact, all three artists. Um, there's been a, a question mark as to whether it matters to us or not, but we have been talking a little bit about the craft and the, the technique of these people. And in, in relation to Zhong Wan, we're talking about an artist who runs a Warholian factory and delegates uh, to uh, diverse craftspeople um, various, uh, various metiers. Uh, different kind of work. Now, here's, here's, a, here's a group, here's, a, here's one of what I call um, a one-person group show, in that you, you go in, it's, it's one person's work, but you, you really are, um, I was overwhelmed by the uh, uh, accomplishment in diverse metier uh, of an artist who was able to make um, uh, a highly literal sort of sculpture like those um, uh, chairs and teacups that put me in mind a bit of Robert Gober, then the, the Bindi paintings seemed at first rather like Damien Hirst dot paintings or, or various other references I could think of. But, uh, and then there was uh, the, sort of the relative literalism of the uh, 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 casts of a, a, heart, a, a whale's heart of an elephant and the more expressive sculptural quality of the, uh, the tree with those little um, animal and mythological heads as their improbable fruit. Um, um, here was a case where I sensed that the hand of the artist was involved, not in, in, in an expressive way, but in a, in a very uh, compelling kind of craft way. And um, that made me think, perhaps, of the, the cultural context in which the work was emerging. Um, uh, Lily, did you respond in some way to the way that these pieces were crafted? Did the craft aspect of you uh, um, energize the work or irritate you? Um, no, I, I thought they were very integral to the work, and I thought they were, um, I, they were all made out of bindis, weren't they? Practically yes. all of them. I mean, even the ones that you wouldn't, you can't really see in the, in the slide. But, um, and I think she also represents a number of artists who are working with the craft. I mean, working intensively in, in, in craft-related works. Um, uh, yeah, I think they were striking, and mm -hmm. I think that that was fi finally the, um, the the judgment has to be on how striking the images were. So I, I thought they were effective like that, which we can go back again to Zhang Wang, and I think mm -hmm. his images are striking, are, are also striking. So I don't think it matters whether he makes them or not. If, if these are like you know opposites, that she is handcrafting them and he he isn't, because he also comes from a tradition that does handcraft. I mean, and and, and stresses uh, craftsmanship, but. So, yeah. Lance, what did you make of the craft element here? And what did you, did, did the show add up to some compelling meaning for you? Not really, but I, I, was, I was wondering, are we supposed to think of this show as one, um, kind of one installation, Statement. so to speak? Uh, or do you think we're supposed to be thinking about these works individually? I, was, I wasn't sure about that. Even having read the press materials, I... I think she may not have completely resolved that, but she, she did give the show the title of one of the pieces in it. Uh, was it No Assignable Cause or something, something like that? Something like yeah, that. Um, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a good question. I, I, don't, I, think they, I think from the book that I 
they gave me, that I, I got the impression that each kind of piece we saw came from an extended series. So okay. I would not think of it, I definitely would not think of it like a, a Robert Gober installation where every bit of it adds up to one unified statement. It, it's a show, it's not an event. It's not an installation. Um, I was, you know, relatively speaking, speaking I was taken with the uh, tree, um, which I thought in, in relationship, it was a life-size tree. I don't know if it was a real tree or was it a cast of a tree? Fiberglass. Fiberglass. And then it had kind of... Waxy. Well, you saw waxy little animals hanging from it. And um, there was something about it in that space, in that square room, that um, had... Um, I don't know, it was intriguing. I was also intrigued by the, um, the giant whale heart which I thought for me in the end became the most successful because it kind of transformed. I guess it was an actual cast of a whale heart, uh, or is it not? I, I don't know. They're supposedly casts, right? Was it? I don't think they're casts. No. I think they're reconstructions. Recon they're very okay. literal reconstructions. All right. Well, if anyway, that I was, I was interested in the size of the heart. I thought that it, it, at, you know, it looked kind of like a sea creature. It looked like um, a phallus. It was decorated in a certain way where she was heightening certain things that kind of pushed it in different directions at, at the same time. Um, and so it, you know, it, it for me, it, um, it saved itself getting out of the literal. Uh, the, the elephant was a little too literal for me. Um, the tea service, you know, I feel like I've seen that a thousand times before. Um, and the paintings um, didn't do, you know, I wouldn't stop for two seconds to look at them beyond, you know, I, they just didn't do anything for me. But the, the heart I was, the heart and the tree were interesting for me. Excuse me. So, Ben, would it be the heart and the tree for you, or <laughs> would you like to make a case for the elephant and the tea set? <laughs> the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> I, it does... I mean, I really, it's funny, I really related the show to the Zhang Wan show. Uh, right down to the fact that they're like supersized body parts laying around, you know? And there is like a common style, I think, which comes, it's kind of like Takashi Murakami formula where uh, his advice to artists is like, look, the art world's in the West. What they sell the idea of your Japanese-ness to them. That it's his advice to people, and, and it seems to me it's very true of you know Chinese artists, obviously. And I've been wondering how how the Indian artists were going to do it because there's obviously a, a big push to produce uh, you know a, a, a sort of Indian star, and 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 in the same way that you know Zhang Wan like sort of appropriates sort of uh, materials that have a spiritual significance and kind of lets that do the duty for it. In duty for you in terms of producing a meaning. I mean, that's I think what the Bindis are all about, uh, is that she's latched onto this sy symbol that in itself is this sort of spiritual symbol that you can then produce some kind of nebulous statement out of that. Um, I, I think the other, the important thing. I mean, she's moving very fast as an artist. You know, this is this is she's like sort of rocketing onto the scene, and I, I think it'd, it'd be really important to track down where those images are from. Those aren't images that she's producing out of her brain. They're, these are from. Uh, tree is from, it's like a tree of life kind of thing that she's just like appropriating the symbol of Indianness and offering it to you. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with right. it. It's just, it, it's yeah. important to, to understand that that's what she's doing. I mean, I, I, I see her, she's a little bit more knowing than Zhang Quan 
which I relate to the fact that she's born in England and then moved to, to India, and so she's a little more, from the beginning, plugged in uh, to the game that she's playing, which is... I think there are people born in India are pretty plugged in as well. Um, but um, the, the, there's a book about India called The Speaking Tree, and I think that, that, that's that, uh, by Richard Lanoy, which relates to a myth of uh, Alexander the Great uh, finding this tree that, can, that tells him that he'll never really conquer India because it's too diverse. I think um, that's, I think, where that image possibly comes from. But uh, Lily, do, do you, uh, Ben has raised an interesting point, and that is that this, the, the bindi is a very uh, poignant, pregnant, but at the same time sort of gimmicky sort of point. It's, it's a bit like uh, Joseph Boyce's felt, perhaps, Ben, you'd agree, that it's, it's something that the artist is perhaps latching onto as a trademark, but it's a very clever one, it's a knowing one, but it's also a very potentially very beautiful one. Uh, what yeah, do you think? I think it's fine. Yes. No, but I mean, trademarks I, okay though. Well, yeah, for a while. I mean, how long is she going to use this bindi anyway? It's one, you know. I mean, who knows? Who knows mm. what she can do with it? But I just think that the other issue is um, that this that idea of Indianness or Chineseness. I mean, I think that they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Um, because all of these artists are, are, are accused of being exotic, or you know, if they mind their own tradition, and then that they do. Um, so-called contemporary Western art, then they're accused of being, you know, they, they are not paying any attention to their own tradition, so that's not authentic either. So it, it really is a very complicated issue. You're damned if you're doing right. your damned right. if you're exactly. not. I, but I, right? feel, uh, I feel like there, there's, there are great artistic traditions in China um, and in, uh, in India that they're not engaged with. I think that it's a very superficial um, kind of Americanized, Western, make it simple, make it easy to you just use the bendy to cover something with bendies. It, it to me is, um, or you know, to me it's the lowest common denominator. It's it's like dumbing it down. There, to me, that's not engagement with the tradition at all. It's just it's like stamping it with something that's recognizable from a culture that really is so removed from the culture. Um, I don't see it as an engagement with it. Um, I see it as kind of a marking of it. But not a. But why do they have to engage? I mean, how can can they not engage with the culture any way they want? I mean, there was this young Indian, um, not Indian, Egyptian artist, who you know he, this idea of like walk like an Egyptian. I mean, he's he lives in 20th century, 21st century Cairo. He's not interested in the pyramids. Um, the Athens Biennale was you know. Uh, destroy Athens, and it was because it was about Hellenism as uh, as the um, you know why should why should Greek artists engage with it, with something that with you know hundreds, thousands of years old? I mean, hundreds of years old. What? Uh, um, well, there's there's nothing wrong. There's no, nothing, there's nothing wrong, wrong with it at all. It's just you've got to know what's going on there. I mean, I think that that you're meant to look at them and see Indianness, you know, and it's not actually it's it's not actually. Uh, Saying that much about it, actually. But you can see Indianness inflected, just as you can see Chineseness inflected through a, a globalized world. This is the twenty-first century. They travel a lot. They don't, you know. This one, a batik care was raised in in, uh, in England. You know, well, I London, agree. That, you know. That's how we should read it. Right. So this is how. So right. I mean. So this. I mean, it's just. It's just a question. I mean, I'm not saying that there's an answer. I'm just saying that there are ways and ways of approaching this. There are black artists who don't want to talk about necessarily their their blackness, and then they're accused of being, you know, not um, engaged or, or not authentic. So, and I don't mean to belabor that word, Lance. <laughs> well, uh, there's an interesting segue from um, a body curb with her 
those the, the paintings that Lance did not have any time for, which which I thought actually were rather stellar and and very absorbing and and rather exquisite. Those the paintings, those well, they're not really they're not paintings, but they're they're, they're flat works in in polytic form, um, uh, using each one using a color a particular color of bindi, um, so they're saturated. Um, there there's a sense of them being cellular. Um, it's a very brilliant forgive me for saying it, strategy to have appropriated the bindi because it's both um, a signifier of something and it works in itself, in its own terms, because it's a dot, like a dot in Syrah that sort of vibrates with colour. Um, so, but going from those pieces to, to Tara Donovan at the Met, where she's um, taken what is um, one uh, form, the, the mylar tape, uh, looped on itself, um, and created this whole... Um, uh, structure out of it. How would you how would you characterize the structure, Lily? I mean, how how would you describe that? Uh, I thought it was a disappointment. Tarantum? I thought it was that's a, a verdict, not a description. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but, but fine, it was a disappointment. Um, it was tell a, us why. Well, because it was inert. I mean, it didn't. When Tara Donovan, and I think she's very she's very good. Um, she could transform the material, and it becomes something so striking when you see it mm. that you, you know, you. I think you are amazed. I mean, you know, her. Well, what are her two million straws that became the cloud bank? Um, the 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 double faced tape that looked like fog rising from the floor. I mean, these are very. Uh, these are transformations of materials, not just accumulations. And I think this one was just, you know, an accumulation. I, it's also now. Here's the other question. It might have worked in another configuration, but it did not work in the Metropolitan's um, mezzanine gallery. Mm -hmm. The ceilings were very low. Um, everything was present. You know, you, um, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but then is that the artist's responsibility or not? If it's site-specific to you know, take that into, into um, consideration and then make, make it work um, or make the piece work. But the lighting, you know, I think it's what it was supposed to do with glitter and look like it were you know, ice or, or or jewels, but somehow the lighting, it just didn't necessarily work. What was the question, though? Oh, the, <laughs> the question was to describe it, but I think um, uh, <laughs> in terms of whether it, it conveyed some sort of mm -hmm. geological structure and whether the, uh, but that was just, I should have done that job myself, but I was getting feeling that you may be bored of my, my voice. But uh, Lance, um, uh, no, do you want to give us a verdict or a description? I'll leave it to you. <laughs> uh, I can give you a little of both. Um, yeah. It's, well, you saw the slides. Um, it's the mylar tape that you use to mask uh, 35 millimeter slides um, when you show them, you know, through a projector. Which I guess um, there must have been a very inexpensive material to buy now, since very few people are using slides. And I was told that the that choosing that material has something to do with some kind of comment about the movement from the past to the present or something. I don't know. Um, it, I thought at the most, and I would, I would agree with you that it was a, a, a big disappointment, and, and walking around the space didn't, didn't add to the experience at all. It was like, okay, I'm, now I'm walking. Um, there, there was a quality, I would say, in the way that the light hit some of it that created a kind of bubbly um, ref, re, reflection in, among the little, the little circular shapes. Um, did it transform in the way that you said the way that she could was the way that she has with styrofoam cups or straws? I don't think so at all. Um, it was kind of a, a cookie cutter effect, and it and as with 
as with um, some other things that I see a lot of recently, it's that sense of if I make a million of them, then will they, you know, how many million pieces of, you know, grains of sand do you have to bring in individually before people take you as a serious craftsperson? I know she has a, a huge group of people working with her, but there is that sense of if I bring in more, if I do it a billion times, then I'll be taken. Um, and, and, yeah, here she is at the Met. Uh, yeah, I, I was... Um, Mm, I'd rather see the Paul Clays back in that space, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, they're sort of scale. Well, Ben, um, uh, those of us who experienced, say, the, the, the plastic cups at, at Pace Wildenstein, 22nd Street, I, 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 I didn't feel that this lived up to that experience, but nonetheless, I, I found it uh, uh, a useful thing. I, I do think that the Met is underserving contemporary art by keeping putting them in that dreadful little bunker of a room. I mean, poor Neo Rausch was really... Uh, you know, squeezed into there, and Kara Walker was done no favors. But that aside, um, do, do you feel that this... How did you respond to this? Did you enjoy it? Well, unfortunately, just because it's not that interesting, I, I agree with <laughs> both of the other people. Um, it's just that, I mean, I think she already is taken pretty seriously, right? She shows at Pace Wildenstein, and she's at the Met. Um, and I, I think that it's just a case where the discourse about what makes her work interesting has gotten a lot, of, a lot ahead of what actually makes it interesting, which is that she can produce interesting forms. But if you read the wall label there, you know, there's this whole line of, of argument where it's like she transforms uh, materials that no one else makes art out of, like cups and toothpicks. And I immediately thought of, you know, well, you know, what about that crazy toothpick sculptor who's always on the news and is always <laughs> sending me emails saying, you know, like, be sure and check out the six o'clock news because they cover my new toothpick <laughs> castle. And that's that's what that's what it ends up being, you know, when when you when that's your idea of what makes makes you interesting is that you just agglomerate, accumulate lots of things and, and you know, this 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 piece could be twice as big or half as big and it wouldn't change a thing about it. Yeah, I think it was a dud space to put her in. But I, I actually found um, I, I enjoyed the way that that, that shape did fluctuate, perhaps under the, the pressure of people having to make so many of those goddamn things in so short a time, but it actually did form an interesting cellular structure, cell uh, uh, where some of them got out of shape and some of them got bigger and smaller than they perhaps should have been. I found the geological metaphors were suggestive and I felt that they were like a, uh, a map of some uh, um, continent, continents and some remote planet or something, and that I found to be pleasing, but uh, it um, interestingly, you know, this is a shape that she has made herself, dictated. I mean, it's a circle. It's not. She, she didn't. She didn't invent the wheel. But I mean, she, she. This is. But this is. This is not a specific shape in the world. What was so magical about the plastic cups is that is that they were so banal and actual and literal and present and so transformative in that it really did become this. You did really did have these kind of wave-like structures within them and it, it became something you really walked around and from each angle it had a different value and a different meaning. I just feel in this space that uh, she didn't excel but frankly who could and it's, it's really the, the Met rather than Donovan, Donovan that needs a, a rap on the knuckles. And you're saying no. <laughs> no, I, I think it's her. You think it's her. <laughs> uh, <you think> <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I, well, I'm being more glass. suggestion to me of 
So, audience, uh, we, we discussed Barty Kerr and uh, Tara Donovan. Uh, anybody in the audience like to share some views on, on those two artists with us? Or have we really covered the ground? Yes. Can you wait for the mic, though? Thanks. I don't mean to be uh, ignorant, but on the Indian artist, I didn't understand what this Buddha... Is it, am I saying that right? Bindi. Uh, Bindi. Bindi. What is you know, it? You know, an Indian... Well, mostly women, but in fact men, I suppose, wear them as well. The dot, which is the signifier of the third eye, which is placed here, uh, it's, it's those which you can buy in a market and which she, she uses uh, to cover surfaces. Like, and there's a very rare sort of sperm form of spindy, uh, which she used to cover the whole elephant. But mostly it's the round dots, mostly red. Other colors too. So you can buy them. I mean, she didn't. Sure. She, she, this is what she's using, uh, like a ready-made. Yeah, you buy them I in the market. The show, you can buy them so. by the pound, I think. Yes. Yes. Um, any other points we can clarify for you? Anybody burning to, to share a view that we've missed on those two artists, or uh, uh, did we nail them? Yes, the lady at the back. Um, yes. Uh, I wanted to bring up the issue of craft, because David had mentioned uh, the craft of, of Bharti Care, and then also something that Lance uh, had mentioned regarding uh, Zhang Hyun. Is that how you pronounce Zhong it? Zhongwan. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that uh, he had this whole shop doing the work for him. And <clears throat> to ask you all a question, since you are, uh, besides being critics, you're writers, how would you feel if you hired people to write your articles or essays or books? Uh, Very relieved then... to think, yeah, marvelous. <laughs> really? Any, anyone uh, like to just get their resume at the end? Uh, we'll pass them around. And, but can we hit on this issue, the, the um, quali quality of um, craft, the moral uh, issue of, uh, that Lance brought to light as well, um, Regarding uh, your own personal signature, who makes the work, who doesn't make the work, and then relate it back to your own profession. How many questions is that? That's like five <laughs> questions. Sorry. About uh, well, <laughs> we can very briefly tackle it if we want. Uh, is there an, a valid analogy that one, if one were delegating one's writing, and, and, and um, does, does the panel feel anyone needs to? Respond? I think it depends on what you're making. I mean, you know, you can work collaboratively where everyone. I guess you could hire, I mean, I don't know about hiring someone, maybe. I, I don't know, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. Have you ever done that? I have worked with um, people writing essays jointly, and it's, it's, it's a curious thing because, um, wait, but you have to really like them <laughs> or, or believe, you know, I mean, you have to have something in common. But, um, and sometimes you don't, so then it can be um, difficult. But mostly, I guess, you know, we, work, we would work, I would work on my own. I would not hire someone, even though it's tempting, but how could you do it? I mean, I don't see how it could be done. Mm -hmm. I think these artists have figured out how it could be done. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I just think that there are lots of different kinds of art. I mean, yeah. a question of crafts is a little bit of a red herring, you know, like a, a, a theater director is an artist, they, they are directing other people, you know, an architect has their own artistic thing they do, they're, you know, making plans that other people then enact. I, I just think, I mean, the, that kind of, the kind of art where someone, uh, sits in front of an easel and pours their soul out onto it is, and then that's what you're supposed to see is one, one kind of thing. It's not, it's not even within the, 
range of classically acceptable artistic forms the one way to think about art? Yeah. Um, yes, now that seems yeah, to have, yeah. yes, well, but let's not have a, necessarily a theoretical debate, though, on it. No, I, I just think that there are so many analogies, and I, uh, none of you mentioned ghostwriters, but, I mean, that certainly is a collaborative uh, effort, and what about sculptors? They're not sitting there <laughs> taking, <laughs> they're, mm. they're not uh, going and doing the, the work in the foundry, they're just yes. bringing a maquette. So I think that in so many areas that it's yeah. very commonly done. Yes, yes. Um, we don't want to pursue this one, though. That's, <laughs> any, if anybody wants to uh, uh, comment on specifically on the shows we've looked at, that would be great. But we're not going to have a debate now about um, ghostwriters. Sorry. Uh, so uh, yes, lady here in the cap. Yes. Wait for the mic, if you would. Wait for the mic, if you would. You pricked something in me, uh, Mr. Es Esplin. And I'd like to see if you can heal it or expound upon it, which is the word morality, and when does it come and go in art? Am How I much being time do <laughs> No theoretical debate. No uh, uh, 15 seconds on uh, morality and art. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't write anything that I actually, is, that's published under my name. Um, a monkey, you're, you're skirting a my monkey question. writes it. Um, I'd have to ask the monkey. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I, I don't think that it's a, a short um, answer question. Um, I think it's that very it's a very one. personal question. I think it gets into the realm of spirituality, of culture, of where you find yourself fitting within the larger culture of being a human being, and how you connect to art. Um, and I think it's a, those are the decisions you have to make. No, no. Th Where does the word morality come into? Well, I think it is a moral choice. What's, um, what, what's a moral what, choice? You, what you do with your life. No, no I'm and talking about art tonight. I'm saying that that every artist makes that everything you do is a moral choice in relationship to making art. And what I'm saying is, it, it is a moral. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Are you saying there's good and bad art because? Yes, there. Well, no, because I think you can be extremely. Uh, well-intentioned and make a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you have to be skilled at what you do. Um, we've all read so bad poetry. Uh, lady, lady, we, we, yeah. can't, we can't have a dialogue now. Yeah. Okay, Sorry. ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm going to just uh, remind, just uh, let you know that we're taking a little break from our series, reconvening here on February the 8th, when our panel will include James Gardner, Linda Nocklin, and Robert Storr. Have a great Christmas and New Year's, everybody. Thank you very much. Well, this sometimes good. happens, doesn't it? The last minute question on <laughs> art morality. morality.